What's up everybody? This is Mike here from The Flywheel. On The Flywheel, we talk to experts about business, careers, personal development, and growth. Today on the channel, we're gonna be talking to Jake about LinkedIn Learning, your ticket to employability. Uh, welcome to the channel, Jake. Maybe we can start with a quick introduction. Absolutely. Uh, great to be here. My name is Jake Hirsch-Allen. I run Workforce Development and Higher Education Systems for LinkedIn Learning. I also co-founded Lighthouse Labs, and I'm on a few nonprofit boards up here in Canada, but spend most of my time focused on the U.S. Um, from a home base in Toronto. Welcome again. Um, maybe a great place to start is a little bit about you. Before we talk about LinkedIn Learning, I think it's really important to know our guests a little bit better. My path has been very winding. When I joined LinkedIn, our CEO then called me the weirdest hire that he'd ever made. And that's because I started out as an international criminal lawyer. So I actually defended war criminals in The Hague and Cambodia. I clerked at the Supreme Court of Israel came back to Canada and changed gears completely within law and became an intellectual property lawyer. So I worked on access to medicines, I lobbied for pharmaceutical companies, I litigated for what are called patent trolls or people who own intellectual property. And all of that allowed me to confirm that I'm a terrible lawyer. I am not detail oriented. I am not big on adversarial situations or conflict. So I relatively quickly shifted gears again. And what I love doing is connecting people. Um, from really, really early days, I think because I was always running around my dad's feet, he was a diplomat and trying to sort of shake people's hands as a kid, I learned to network. And so that fixation on networking got me the nickname Jakedin, and very few people were surprised when eventually I joined LinkedIn. Uh, but in between my lawyer days and my current uh, employer, I founded Canada's largest software development bootcamp, which is called Lighthouse Labs. Uh, we did that because a bunch of friends kept coming to me when I was a lawyer saying, hey, can you help me build an app? Can you help me build a website? So we built an agency doing that kind of work and we couldn't hire enough developers. So we built a school to teach the developers. And really that was what brought me to my current role because it got me A, into education. I had been on the side guest lecturing at McMaster University, ended up teaching full time there for five years. And then at the same time, I started, as I said, this boot camp to hire uh, to train developers for originally our company and then now hundreds of other companies across Canada. I think technically Lighthouse Labs graduates more software developers than any university in Canada other than Waterloo. And interestingly, at the same time, Gordon Brown, who's the uh, current United Nations Special Envoy for Education, former UK Prime Minister, he reached out to my boss at an old IP intellectual property project that I was working on and said, can you bring the same incentivization model that you figured out for access to medicines and global health? And can you instead apply it to online learning? And so what I do right now is I work with LinkedIn in online learning. And that was 10 years ago when he was saying, can you help us figure out how to get online learning to work for disadvantaged populations? Come full circle. And as I'll explain momentarily, that's exactly what I'm doing now. For the past few years, I've actually been trying to narrow in on the most disadvantaged populations. Again, coming back to that first project, Gordon Brown, and we're working on what's called workforce development. So how to get unemployed people access to learning, LinkedIn learning in particular, via partnerships with governments, and then of course, eventually jobs. That's a very impressive career journey. Um, I'm always so impressed by so many of our guests that have a completely different background of where they started to where they are today, and how that unique path has really shaped who they are. Um, you know, you talked a lot about your, your wealth of experience and time in the education space. So maybe that'll be a good place to start. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what are some of the best things that you're seeing today in the education space, but also um, in contrast, what are some of the biggest challenges and gaps that you're seeing out there in the market? It's funny, both of them actually relate to people, not technology, and our interaction with it. 
when you said I have a wealth of experience, it's really been compressed into a relatively small amount of time. When you think of most academics or most people in education, I've been working in it for, let's say, ballpark a decade. There's a lot of people who've been working in it for 40 years. But the challenge, I think, has been that over all of education history and all of their careers, they haven't changed a lot. And that's particularly challenging when society outside of education is changing really fast. And so I think the biggest problems and potential for uh, positivity in education comes from the actual educators and the systems they operate in ability to change. If, for instance, we've known forever that online learning mixed with in-person learning is the best. It's a different mix for different kinds of people, right? Some people like I love actually interacting. And so I need the majority of my time to be interacting. My brother is the exact opposite. He would sit across the street from his lecture halls at McGill University in a coffee shop and watch the videos there because that was better for him in terms of learning. Point being, everybody requires a different ratio between the two, but there is a balance of both hybrid learning that is optimal for almost everybody. And yet very, very few educators, despite knowing this at this point for decades, probably hundreds of years before technology for video, we knew that that mix was important. And yet very few faculty members have adopted it. Very few post-secondaries have forced them to. And of course, the pandemic, to some extent, did that to all of us, right? A huge number of people all of a sudden had to learn to work from home or study from home. And it didn't work out so well for a lot of them, in part because faculty members hadn't adopted these new pedagogical teaching best practices. And so I think the opportunity now is let's take advantage of this momentum. Online learning and education in particular is one of those areas where we really have to capture this new reality. If I were to summarize the challenges that uh, education is facing right now, they actually relate to the social determinants of educational success as opposed to anything that's wrong with the education itself. I.e., if somebody has access to high broadband, they have a roof over their head and food to eat, the chances that they'll be able to get through a community college degree or even just access LinkedIn Learning online in a positive and in a manner that benefits them will be far, far greater. And that's why right now fighting sort of inequality more broadly and specifically those social determinants of educational success is what I think we should be prioritizing. So maybe let's talk a little bit about some of the tools and technology that you're seeing. Um, obviously, there's a piece around the equity and access to that, but what are some of the ways that you're seeing technology tools and the availability of information helping impact the, the cold journey of education in general? In many ways, we have come to the age in which education itself is democratized. What's interesting for those of us who are really keen on the internet from the early days, early adopters of everything from Wikipedia to uh, IRC chat forums, is that for us, we thought that was going to be the time when all of a sudden everybody would get access to education. And you really would have sort of the democratization of education. Instead, I actually think the pandemic resulted in the sort of acceleration of the next industrial revolution, our current technological revolution, to a point where we actually do and will have a dramatically larger population accessing education than ever before. And the next question is, how do they get jobs? I think we've actually solved many of the problems with access to, again, educational information. And Wikipedia is my favorite example because it is so democratized, but there's everything from tons of other open educational resources or some of the LinkedIn learning resources that we'll refer to later on, which folks can access for free in order to upskill themselves and sort of get themselves on the track to a new career path. 
The other challenge, of course, though, is we need the employers to hire these individuals. And I think we are going to face a bit of a sort of macroeconomic reckoning as skill levels, human capacity and capability increases. And as the labor market then has to adjust with the fact that automation has also probably decreased the number of people necessary in certain professions. So we have to reallocate them quite rapidly to new workforces. What's your thoughts on what you're seeing from what's existing in education today, what exists sort of in the sphere of online digital learning tools, and any gaps between that and employability and and sort of workforce readiness? Where do you see those things playing together? Do you think that the technology and some of these free resources um, are helping people close that gap? Do you think sort of the education system as it's built gets people ready enough to go? I think we actually do have an opportunity right now to transform the way that education works because of the gap that existed between the technology and most people using it. So all of a sudden now, we have not just people accessing massive open online courses, but completing them. We have people not just interacting with video online, but also beginning to interact with other people and assessments. And sort of, it's not just consumption passively, but it is interaction in the fullest sense of the term. And that's where learning really works best. Again, where people are not just sitting passively and listening to a video, but rather interacting with other people or playing around with Excel files or coding into an actual online repository. And so it's that additional interaction that I think will solve a lot of the problems that have existed to date in technology. Another interesting phenomenon, and one of the areas that I really like to lean into is sort of assessment, because I think it captures some of the challenges with human-computer interfaces, is that certainly technology is going to democratize access to education as a whole, but we're also moving in a direction where those who are able to learn in person often benefit more and are more privileged. So in-person education becomes more elite. Fewer people are able to go to the top colleges or universities in the world. More people access online learning. And what we then have to solve for is the gap that that could create between those who are exclusively learning online and those who are learning in person. And again, I think part of the way to overcome that gap is to do interaction and things like assessment better. Why? We can assess how well somebody's coding relatively easily if they're solving a simple problem. Once they get up to problems that require creativity, even a computer has a hard time comparing two different people's creative solutions. At the same time, people who are doing assessments of human skills have a hard time to this day, let alone computers, trying to assess somebody's human skill, right? Whether uh, I'm good at being charismatic, how would a computer evaluate me on that right now? Certainly AI is gonna catch up, but I think it's again that gap between the measurement of human skills and even how humans interact with computers and where we're at right now, as that closes, we're really going to engage the next level of, of education and the empowerment that it can create. You've talked about skills and, and sort of readiness for industry. Obviously, we can't talk about every industry and every skill, but for people in business, because that's what we talk about here on the flywheel, what do you feel are some of the skills or learning paths that pe- people should be considering today uh, if they haven't already? I always think it is the balance between human and technical skills that is going to be most effective. And for somebody like me who needs a lot of variety, alternating between courses on each is actually helpful in that respect as well. So as an example, the human skills of critical thinking, of creativity, of working in teams, those are always going to be essential and will always give you a leg up. The many stats on how people with technical comp sci degrees or engineering degrees 
make more money right off the bat, but then over the course of entire careers, it's actually people with the BAs who often make more money. That reasoning is exclusively because of those human skills, not because I learned anything in particular during my archetypal mythology and international relations undergraduate degree. And so bearing that in mind, for the technical folks, really do brush up on your human skills. And for the folks who came from the BA and say don't have those technical coding uh, capacities or even just the basics of statistics, right, of understanding probability, lean into that side, learn the technical side, and so that way you can fill in the gaps in your personality. Let's talk a little bit about LinkedIn learning. Um, you know, what is LinkedIn learning? Who has access to it? What type of content exists there? And I'm sure the question everyone will have in their minds as you go through it is, how much does it cost? LinkedIn learning was probably the most exciting acquisition that I ever was involved in. Uh, I joined LinkedIn and two days after joining the company, we've spent a couple billion bucks, if I'm remembering it correctly, on lynda.com. Linda was named after this woman, Linda Wyman, who was based in Southern California and for decades had figured out how to originally take the lessons that she heard teachers needing to understand about how to flip a classroom, about how to do hybrid learning. Um, she understood that she needed to find a way to scale those, right? She had been flying people into her studios, to her classes to teach them how to teach either online or in-person basics like web development for a really long time, but it didn't scale. And so in the early days, she started making DVDs. And when I started in my job selling lynda.com for LinkedIn to higher education institutions, there were institutions in northern Ontario, in like northern Canada, tens of hours from the closest big city, where they would still get DVDs with lynda.com content on it. When LinkedIn bought it, it was because lynda.com had the largest film studios north of Hollywood, literally football field sized film studios where we're able to produce, I think at this point, it's between 30 and 60 courses a month. Um, and those courses cover everything from Microsoft content. So we fly in uh, Microsoft's top uh, developers to teach how to develop, as well as people who teach how to use Excel. We fly in folks who are academics on the basics of you know, business school, all the way to um, the most advanced lessons in HR or project management. And so at this point, we have something like 16, 17,000 courses in seven languages, recorded natively in each of those languages. Um, and we believe we have the top skills focused content in the world, all in this amazing database that's tied to labor market information, tied to data on what skills are in demand, because of course we have more jobs on LinkedIn than anywhere else, and on the pathways to get from where you are now to a job that requires those skills. Tons of content, I, I learned a whole bunch here. I had no idea that the content was all recorded in these studios that were sort of acquired as part of lynda.com. So even I learned something new today. Um, now we didn't cover the cost piece and I'm sure there's the it depends, but let's talk to sort of the average individual, someone who maybe is just starting their journey, maybe they're still in school, maybe it's somebody who's looking to do this, you know, as part of their job and seeking employer reimbursement or just trying to do it themselves. Let's sort of talk in that vein. How can people access the tools of, of LinkedIn and how much would it cost those people? And are there any freemium things that they could get started on even without paying? As part of a huge initiative between Microsoft, GitHub and LinkedIn called the Global Skills Initiative, we made our top 10 learning pathways free as part of our pandemic response. And those are the pathways, so not just individual videos, three to five minutes, courses, three to five hours, but these are actually pathways combining many different courses 
that lead to the 10 most in-demand jobs in the world right now. So computer science uh, coder, um, we know that there's some health practitioner ones, we know that there's some accounting related ones, et cetera. So these are the paths to the 10 most in-demand jobs. They're all free. We'll put the link into the chat here. So that's, uh, I think off the top of my head, it's opportunity.linkedin.com. And, um, and you'll see those 10 paths there. Uh, there's also a tool we released even more recently called Career Explorer that I'm really excited about because it helps somebody who might be just leaving a job find other jobs that are called skills adjacent. So jobs that involve the same skills or some of the same skills as your previous job. And then it shows you both which jobs are available near you, who you're connected to in those jobs, and the LinkedIn learning pathways to get from where you are to those jobs. One thing to note is on Career Explorer, when you click a link to a LinkedIn learning course, you'll only have access to that course if it's free and a subset of our content is, or if you have a paid subscription to LinkedIn Learning, which leads, of course, to your next question, how much does LinkedIn Learning cost? There's various ways of getting it. Um, so if you buy a premium subscription to LinkedIn.com, that actually comes with LinkedIn Learning right now. If you're on a team, you can also buy just either a subscription to LinkedIn Learning or you can buy it from, you know, for your entire team. For instance, at the Toronto Public Library, LinkedIn Learning is the most used resource available there. So you can get it at the Public Library for free as well. And there are many other institutions that offer it. As I said, post-secondaries in Ontario had it. Many employers at this point, I think it's like 78% of the Fortune 100 have it. So if you are currently employed, check to see if your, if your employer has it as well. That's a good point. So you can definitely pay. There's definitely options to pay, but that shouldn't be your barrier because there's tons of very valuable free content out there. There's a lot of organizations investing in it already for their employees or for people that are going through school already, uh, through people that are looking to skill up for their jobs. So ask, ask if LinkedIn learning is something you have access to, but even if not, you can get started already today. What's the easiest sort of path for people to sort of get started with LinkedIn Learning today? So there's two courses that are actually separate from those 10 learning pathways to the most in-demand jobs that are also at that opportunity.linkedin.com. One is how to work from home and the other is how to find work from home. And uh, if you combine those two, I think you'll probably find, find the content on LinkedIn Learning that's necessary in order to learn how to learn at home which is the key to all of this, right? We all just need to be able to figure out how on an ongoing basis to continue to always be going through lifelong learning. LinkedIn Learning is one way to do it. There are a variety of open education resources available all over the world that can supplement it. YouTube, of course, is another great source of them. Um, but having that guidance or that curation, I think is really important. Having sort of a third party evidence-based perspective on what content you should be consuming is important. And that's one of the, um, purposes that LinkedIn serves in publishing its content on LinkedIn Learning. Maybe you don't have access to a computer. Maybe it's just from your phone. Can you access LinkedIn Learning from your phone? So if you're watching this video, can you do this all from your phone even if you don't have access to a computer at home? Totally. One of the things that I'm most excited about in terms of accessibility in LinkedIn Learning is not only does it meet all of the top accessibility standards in the world in terms of people with disabilities, and for this, I give Microsoft, our parent company, a huge amount of credit for really bringing us up to those standards, which it's a leader on, but also, as you pointed out, you can download all of our content offline onto your phone. You can download it online on, our, on your phone. It works almost as easily as Netflix. And for some of those, say, rural communities, they're going to a library, downloading the content onto an iPad or an iPhone or an Android device, and then taking it back up north. And that gives individuals who maybe don't have the broadband that we were referring to earlier, 
access to that educational content at home, and then they can come back and refresh it when, the, when they next have access to the internet. That's amazing. Super inclusive. Um, obviously, it's trying to be as broadly uh, you know, available as possible. Whether you're somewhere already or making a career transition or making a complete industry transition, what are sort of your top tips for getting started? I'd start with ensuring that the way that you are represented online reflects the way that you want to be re represented offline. I.e., a lot of people put a ton of time into their paper resumes, but then neglect their LinkedIn profiles or other social profiles. So just go into a browser, put it into private browsing mode, <clears throat> put your name into the search engine, hit enter, see what pops up, and then work to make sure that the results in the future, again, represent from a professional perspective who you want to be. Next, connect with as many folks as you possibly can in the areas you're interested in. The more either online or offline coffee chats that you have, the easier it's going to be to find a job. And finally, as much as we sort of vary from being very introverted to very extroverted, and clearly I'm more on the latter end of the spectrum, I would highly recommend that you try to get out there in just putting your name out and saying, hey, would you be interested in having a conversation about X? I can add value in this way. And if you're explicit about that, if when you send a LinkedIn connection request, you customize it and say, hey, would you be open to chatting about this subject? The chances that even very senior folks respond saying yes are very high. And your goal in those chats should not necessarily be to get a job, but rather to ask them enough that they will be able to introduce you to a few other folks. And eventually, once you've talked to 100 of them, you'll know both what kinds of jobs you're interested in and you'll have people who are connected to open jobs. Thank you. That's super, super useful top three. So thanks again. Um, Jake, thank you for coming on to The Flywheel. Everyone tuning in, again, if you tuned into The Flywheel, we talked to experts about business, careers, personal development, and growth. If you like the content today, make sure to hit subscribe below. We'll be linking all of the resources Jake talked about in the description, and we'd love to hear your feedback. If you like this or there's something you'd like to see, make sure to leave it in the comment section. Again, subscribe and see everybody on the next episode.